the Midlands? No. Midlands 103. It's time for Taking Care of Business on Midlands 103. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Midlands 103. Hello and a very good evening to you all. It's Tuesday the 21st of March. I'm Ronan Berry and you're very welcome to Taking Care of Business here on Midlands 103. Coming up between now and 8pm, Kalua Castle in Clonmelon has reopened for accommodation and it will be this, this, the scene of a fantastic new restaurant from early next month as well. I'll be joined in a little while by the owners who have masterfully restored the castle. It has a deep history and a long heritage too. It was once the family home of Lawrence of Arabia. Fascinating story, much more to come on that very, very shortly. Also, the CEO of the Advertising Standards Authority for Ireland, Orla Toomey, will be along because they plan to implement new AI tools into their software to basically look at inauthenticity on social media adverts, particularly those adverts by influencers. Now, again, that whole area of influencers has been very much a hot topic for business and marketing lately. But a lot of us apparently don't trust what we see or we don't tend to believe a lot of what influencers are telling us. Um, so look, at, we'll, we'll find out more about an extensive survey they carried out recently on that. A little bit later too, Katrina Morden, the manager of the Advanced Technologies in Manufacturing Cluster, will be here to talk about an event that's taking place this coming Friday, the 24th of March in Tullamore. It's a committed to net zero workshop. There's a host of speakers from some major businesses around the Midlands going to contribute to that too so if you want to get a place there and attend that you can find out how to do so a little bit later on the show if you'd like to get in touch with me here in the studio as always you can do, do so by text or WhatsApp on 083 103 powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota on the Arden Road in Tullamore but to begin this evening the town of Tullamore came to a standstill yesterday as James O'Connor was laid to rest James was a husband he was a father to Leah Victoria, who predeceased him. He was a brother, a friend, a tradesman, a master craftsman, a mental health advocate, a community leader, a hero, a lifesaver. The list is endless. So to remember James and the incredible work he fitted into his short years, I'm joined by Fianna Fáil councillor Tony McCormack, who's also Lasca Hirlock of Offaly County Council and himself a local businessman, and Anthony Hannafy, the president of Tullamore Chamber of Commerce. Tony, I will go to you first on this one. You know, you knew James, I suppose, like a lot of people, maybe in many different capacities. Yeah, I suppose <coughs> I knew James, first of all, as the business person that he was and master tra- craftsman or tradesman, as you said to yourself, Ronan. Um, a guy that, that had an attention to detail second to none and many businesses and many shops, retail shops in Tullamore uh, would be um, a, a, a businesses that have uh, been done by James over the years. You know, his order book was full always and, and the reason being because of the quality of work that he had done. But I suppose um, more recently in the last number of years, uh, James um, himself suffered some, some, some mental health issues uh, and found that when he was um, in the middle of his strife, uh, there wasn't uh, a huge service there from the HSE to look after people, to look after himself, but also look after people like him. And when he got well, he decided that he w- wasn't going to take this sitting down, that he was going to do something about it. And I suppose for a lot of us, when we sit down and we, 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 we look at situations like this and we say we'd love to do something about it, that's probably as far as it actually goes. <laughs> but with James, that wasn't the case. He took the, the, the bull by the horns uh, and he stuck at it and stuck at it because we all know the bureaucracy that you have to go through to actually get something like accessible counselling open. 
Um, and uh, I suppose um, the people in um, accessible counselling providing mm. the service, um, <coughs> they will all know the people that James has helped directly, but they will never know the hundreds and thousands of people that he has helped indirectly. Um, and I suppose when I say that, the families of those people that have, have, have been helped, you know, um, their lives have been made easier and their lives um, 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 and themselves, their own mental health has been spared because now their loved one is be, uh, has been looked after or are, is being looked after by a service like Accessible Counselling. And I suppose somebody like that, you know, is a huge loss to a town like Tullamore. Um, <coughs> you know, the, 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 the uh, brand or the name legend um, is bandied around, I think, far too often and the real people that deserve that uh, accolade uh, sometimes, uh, um, you know, I suppose, uh, get it, but it isn't as strong as it should be. And for somebody like James, legend is probably too small a word for the man that he was and the service that he provided to those people um, that were suffering mental health issues. Because if we look at it, and we've all heard about it, and we know that our mental health service in this country is is is, is not what it should be. And I know as a Fianna Fáil councillor, I have many people come to me with different issues and mental health is, is probably top of the list on a lot of occasions. His, and it was, if he himself heard you say the word legend, he'd be the first one to tell you to go, absolutely. go away with that and, and take it away. Such was the measure of him as well. Yeah, but absolutely, I suppose, when you talk about um, um, James, he was such a humble person. Mm. Such a humble person, was happy to sit in the background, but when it was needed, he was forceful and forthright and was able to put his point across and make sure that it was heard. So a huge, huge, huge personality, but in a very quite quiet way. I thought of myself as well. I mean, the prep he used to put into when he'd come on air with me to speak about himself as a business person, but also to speak about the Green Ribbon campaign and, you know, as, a, as by sea change as well. And I mean, Tullamore became almost like a model town for raising mm. mental health awareness based on the work that James had done as well. His bravery, though, in speaking out, like you've referred to it there, as a business owner, to come, you know, really out of his comfort zone, to come on air, even with Will Faulkner in Midlands yeah. 103. Um, Will was telling me earlier today, like, it's, it remains the most listened to piece of audio from the station over the last kind of maybe decade up on SoundCloud as well. His bravery in coming out and speaking really is, it's, it's kind of hard to almost put it into words and quantify it. I know, and I suppose, look, listen, um, we're, 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 when we listen to somebody like that who's talking from the heart and is so genuine, your whole, your ears open up your whole mind opens up because you know that this is somebody that's experienced it. And in the way, in the gentle way that James was able to put it across, I suppose he touched an awful lot of people. He touched an awful lot of people uh, who would have known him around the town and, and probably wouldn't have realised what type of person he was. It's touched an awful lot of people who would have been out there suffering in silence um, and maybe suffering the very same as he was suffering. So they were able to connect with that. And then when, he, when, 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 when the service opened and he was provide that service to the people, as I said, a lot of us have great ideas, but we never actually put them into play. And we might start doing it, but we hit all these hurdles. But in, in, in James's case, all the hurdles he hit, he stuck at it and stuck at it. And I tell you, I know what it's like, the ambiguity, the, 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 the bureaucracy that you have to go through to get something like this done. It's not easy. And, 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 and I suppose you nearly have to numb yourself because you're going to get knocked back. You might go two steps forward, be knocked back then again. You go three steps forward, you're knocked back again. But to keep at it and keep at it and persevere. And he has a very, very, or he, he has in place a very good committee and a very good group to keep the service going. And, 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 and I know they will because they'll do it in his honour for a start. 
but also they realise the vital service that they're providing to the local community. And they'll know the, the standards that he himself would absolutely as well. Absolutely. Anthony, you soldiered with him for Manny's year in Tullamore Chamber and I, I'm going to say again, probably like a lot of things Tony has said, they're probably somewhat behind the scenes but a massive influence I expect. Huge influence. He was he was such a quiet, unassuming man. I, I got to know him I suppose seven or eight years ago when I joined the Chamber first and he, he was the first guy to make me welcome in and you know, you're a bit apprehensive going to these meetings and he'd, he'd always try and explain things. He, we'd, we'd have the meetings and, you know, it'd be, it'd be a lot of, um, a lot of um, uh, work being decided on. He was always the first man to put up his hand to do something. Um, he'd always, you know, some people need to need to say something in 10 sentences. He'd always be very to the point. One sentence, that was it, and you'd understand. Um, I suppose if you look at it as well, like in his business fit out there, he, he all his customers were the businesses in Tullamore and he was always, he always felt a fierce loyalty to them. He was always basically working behind the scenes to make things better. Um, and, you know, he's a huge, just a huge loss. And even so, lots of his customers were paying tribute to him over the past few days. And a lot of them said how not only did he just do the work to such a high standard, but he actually pushed them a little bit to maybe go a bit above and beyond and to even like change the layouts of their shops expand you know at a time so maybe they weren't considering it and they've benefited from that as well so like I mean it was more than just a fit out service he brought to it exactly no he was the man was a genius and you know if, if we, if we all heard about his, his workmanship would have been excellent but he's, he's just his uh, I suppose his knowledge and his foresight that he could he could actually see things no one else would you know he was, he was just ahead of his time really yeah and again you know a, a well respected businessman creating employment around the town and always had ambitious plans there too like you know he was involved in the property industry too and had very ambitious plans for some buildings around the town so his presence from a chamber perspective would be really missed as well oh look in terms of our, in terms of our group we have a strategic policy group and he was a key member of it and he's going to be it's going to be very hard to replace him I don't think we will be able to replace him but he was he was just a great man Anthony thank you so much Gerard and Tony um, before I let you go guys um, I think we have to hear from James himself because this is a piece I recorded with him he was live on the show with me on the 21st or on the 8th of September sorry 2021 and remember he came in because he had this giant green ribbon with him. It was taller than him, like it was so big. And we had a good laugh about it at the time. But he was here to talk about the Tullamore Goes Green, the campaign that uh, he ran in conjunction with Sea Change in order you know, to raise awareness of the mental health and all those green ribbons that people sp- sported over the weekend at his funeral as well. But um, this is just a couple of seconds of him talking about mental health and about telling your story as well and look at let's listen to to james and what he had to say back then i find personally that that people open up on a personal level i find that that people have no issue opening up um i I have conversations most days with people um but then i'd be easy to have a conversation with because i've been there but i suppose it's probably harder for a person to open up to someone that hasn't been there so they mightn't understand but you don't need to be an expert to talk about mental health and there we go again. He says himself, you don't need to be an expert to talk about mental health and he wouldn't put himself down as an expert. Uh, Tony and Anthony, thank you so much for coming in this evening. No problem, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. To James's wife, Lisa, his mother, Dolores, and her partner, Eddie, his brothers, Jason and Michael, his sister, Jane, father-in-law, Eddie, and mother-in-law, Teresa, his friends, his work colleagues, his customers, and the many people who are here today because of James's bravery. Um, can we ex- express my condolences and the condolences from all of us here in Midlands 103. May James rest in peace. Massive thank you again to Councillor Tony McCormack and to Anthony Hanafy from Tullamore Chamber of Commerce for coming in to pay tribute to the late James O'Connor. And uh, of course the guys mentioned that a huge part of James's legacy will be accessible counselling Tullamore. And if you were listening to The Breakfast Show on Midlands 103 this morning, you'd have noted that both Peter Dunn and Cameron Clark, now I'll use the word volunteered, 
But basically on the 1st of April, there's going to be an event taking place in Fergie's Bar um, and it's going to raise money for ACT. It's called Acting the Fool. And the guys are going to get their legs waxed if they can raise 500 euros for the event. Now, Peter's insisted if they don't raise 500, they're not going to do it. But I think 500 is a relatively, you know, it's an achievable target. So my challenge tonight is if there's a business owner out there listening or maybe a few of you who would consider putting up maybe a 500 euros towards that challenge, I think we convinced the two guys to get their hair dyed as well. If you want to find out more, midlands103.com, you'll see Acting the Fool there. Click on the picture of Peter and Cameron showing off their legs and let's see what we can do. How much can we get them to do and raise some vital funds for that organisation that James created? Anyway, we'll come back to that later on. 083 30 10 103, the text and WhatsApp number if you'd like to get involved in this evening's conversation. Going to go now to Clonmelon. Have you ever heard of Kalua Castle? Well, it is a fantastic historic castle located in the most romantic domain in Ireland and it has links to Sir Walter Raleigh and Lawrence of Arabia to, to name but a few. It has a fantastic heritage and history. It has been recently restored and there's a big announcement coming there too about some new ventures that will open on the grounds very, very shortly. To find out more, I'm delighted to be joined, joined by the owner of Kalua Castle, Alan Krauss. Alan, a very good evening to you. Can you give us a little bit of background? I know it's a deep history, but a background to Kalua Castle. Sure, Ronan. Look, the castle, as you said, has links to Raleigh and Lawrence of Arabia. It belonged to a Chapman family. The Chapmans uh, started living here in around 1652, and they stayed until 1919 when the last Lady Chapman died. Then it became a golf course, and then once the golf course went bankrupt and was abandoned, unfortunately, Kilua became a ruin. The roof was taken off, as uh, with many other houses in Ireland, to sell the lead. And then, uh, of course, it became totally derelict, trees growing inside the house, and totally abandoned. And it was in that state how we found it in 1999, when we first uh, came here. And... Since 2000, we've been uh, the owners of the property and have been restoring it ever since. And what was it attracted you to it in the first instance? Several things. First of all, I would say the surroundings are magnificent. It's one of the few places where you can climb to the top of the tower and you're not going to see pylons. You're not going to see anything different from what you would have seen there in the 18th century. So the surroundings are lovely. And then the community is truly wonderful. And Clamellon has always been a very welcome community, really nice people. We have very, very good friends, and I've always felt here at home. I can imagine a restoration project of that scale, right? It's not going to come cheap. And um, when it comes to sort of looking at the finances behind it and putting a plan in place, did that take much work? And how did you go about getting the right contractors and designers involved then? Well, look, actually, uh, the way that I approached it was probably very different from the way that most people do it. I never really had an end point in mind, and I was not even sure that we were ever going to restore it fully. And uh, Initially, my idea was, let's look at the ruin, try to conserve it, stabilize it, and if it carries the roof, it carries the roof, but if it doesn't, we'll just have a lovely place where we're going to come here and have picnics around it in the summer. It turns out that the structure was actually pretty good, and we started working from there in doing all the stonework, all uh, the exterior to make the structure sound. And then carried on until finally last year we finished with it. And we used initially 
a structural engineer and an architect, but very quickly, once the structural work was done, I actually took over the project myself and worked directly with builders. So there were no decorators and really no architect involved for the vast majority of the project. So interior-wise, was it had it remained in good condition despite the roof being damaged, or was there some restoration work had to be done on the internal decoration? No, the internal decoration was completely gone. I mean, there were few uh, surviving pieces of plaster that we removed to conserve as archaeological pieces. But basically what you had were the bare walls, the bare stone walls, and that's what we had to work with. So all the interior decoration was gone. And what we've done is not trying to put it back the way it was at any particular point in time. I find that exercise completely useless because, first of all, houses were not static. Houses evolved. Uh, and second, we don't have enough evidence of what was here. So trying to recreate would be just inventing and ending up with a pastiche. So we've done our own thing in the inside. I'm interested in medieval art. We actually wanted a space to house our collection of art. And uh, it's a wonderful space. And again, we've been able to combine modern technology with old techniques. And it's that process that has been really fascinating to me. Any features or any aspects of the castle that really stand out or any kind of favorite parts from your own perspective? I think the basement is fabulous. I think the cellars are completely unique. I think that the work done uh, in brick, on uh, the vaults is truly amazing. It's a type of work that you could not get replicated today. Fortunately, the vaulting was fundamentally intact. There were a couple of places where it had to be replaced, but the vaulting was practically intact, and it's absolutely beautiful. We've left the brick exposed, and looking at that vault is truly magnificent. You can just imagine, yeah, the, the craft that went into those all those hundreds of years ago and, and many of them still stand to and are, are still impervious to water as well. It's a credit to the, the early engineers and builders too. But uh, moving on, like you, you have a, the, the, it is, there, are, there are opportunities for people now to come and actually stay on the grounds of Kalua Castle as well. What kind of offerings are available to people at present? Well, what we've done is uh, a couple of things. First of all, for one of the gate lodges, the Clomelon Lodge, which is, beautiful Gothic mini castle from 1826 is now fully restored and uh, on offer on Airbnb. Same thing we've done with the Gardner's Cottage uh, next to the wall garden of Kilua that has now been fully restored and it's also on offer. Then the house itself, uh, it's our private residence, but we do open it to the public whenever they're interested in visiting. People can book on uh, our website, and I'm actually usually happy to give the tour myself if I'm around and walk them through the rooms and explain both the restoration process and the art collection. And yeah, those are the things that are uh, currently on offer, uh, both for visiting Kiloa and for staying here if people want to stay. But of course, the big the big announcement that's coming as well. Like up next month, you're, you intend on opening up the Twelve Points Restaurant on the grounds in the castle too. That sounds very exciting. Can you tell us more about that? Well, look, the timing is still uncertain. We're still waiting for our planning permission, and I'm not going to use this opportunity to rave and rant about it. But I do want to say that uh, look, I understand that uh, the county council and the planning people in the county council are grossly understaffed and work very hard uh, to try to meet all the requirements. But it would be nice, particularly for small businesses like ourselves, 
to be able to survive if one could actually hear all the aspects uh, regarding planning in one go rather than every two months have uh, one new piece of news arriving and having to deal with it. But as I said, that's obviously not the purpose of today's call. As soon as we are ready, we want to be able to launch the restaurant. We have the full staff. We've been training them. And uh, we will continue working on that until we finally get the planning permission through. Uh, as I said, there have not been objections as such. It's just that every single time it takes two months to get one comment, and then we have to deal with it, and then another two months to get the next comment. It will be wonderful for small business to be able to have that on an expedited basis. What's your intention with the restaurant? What type of cuisines are you going to look at serving up? I know yourself, you're kind of, you have a, your, your heritage comes from a kind of across the world too, but you know, Mexican and well, Austrian descent as well. Are you going to try and bring some world cuisine there or will it be strictly local? It will be fundamentally local. What we want to do is use the local produce of uh, obviously Kilo itself, but also of our neighbors in the Boyne Valley, which I think is one of the great characteristics of Ireland, the fantastic quality of produce that we have. And the idea is using that local produce to be able to provide best techniques applied to it to have what I would call modern Irish cuisine, which I think can stand to the best around the world. It's similar to what has happened in other places like uh, Scandinavia, particularly Denmark, uh, where Again, places that were considered backwaters for cuisine, but with great produce, suddenly really stepping up and having some of the best cuisines in the world. Absolutely. I think never a truer word said as well. I suppose, Alan, in general, if somebody else was looking at uh, trying to acquire a a four or five hundred year old castle and go about restoring it, is it something you'd recommend people to do? Only if they're not in a rush. They love art. They love architecture. They love history. It's their passion of their lives. Then I think it's the most wonderful thing that you want to do in life. If you're in a rush, you want the finished product, I would not recommend it to my worst enemy. <laughs> I think that uh, that is really well put as well. Listen, Alan, it's a fantastic story. And all the very best to yourself and your wife, Lorena, as you begin this part of the adventure as well and, and bringing Kalua Castle back to life and having it there again as a community resource and a resource for people to be able to attain and use and stay at and, and keeping that long history and heritage going. So for that, we commend you and thank you for coming on the show tonight. Thank you. Delighted to be here, Ron. That is Kalua Castle there, owned by Alan and Lorena Kraus. Um, you can check them out there, Kalua, K-I-L-L-U-A, castle.com. You can go kaluacastle.com forward slash 12 points restaurant just to get, for want of a better word, a flavour of what they're planning there once all the kind of paperwork is done and to get the all clear for that. You can email them info at kaluacastle.com and also check them out on the various social media channels. And believe you me, it is worth doing. It's a stunning looking building. It's on a 340 acre domain as well. And they've also introduced things like, you know, native species of cattle and sheep there too. So like fantastic project. And as you can see, it's a kind of like a, a life's work being poured into that as well. Great venture and great to see these things happening around the Midlands. Time now for a short break. After that, we're going to look at that whole area of social media influencers. Now, I know there's something I've touched on in the show a few times this side of Christmas, but actually recent research that was conducted on behalf of the Advertising Standards Authority for Ireland shows that over 63% of us are somewhat concerned by the inauthenticity of social media influencers. Is that the case? And let's find out more about that after this quick break.
Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Still to come on Taking Care of Business, I'll be joined a little bit later by Katrina Morland, the manager of the Atom Cluster. That's uh, in advance of a workshop that's taken place this Friday in Tullamore called Committed to Net Zero. And it's going to showcase what some of the leading manufacturing companies around the Midlands are doing in order to you know, reduce their carbon footprint and to make a real difference from an environmental perspective in their business. So Katrina will give you all the details and indeed tell you how you can register for that a little bit later. But earlier this morning, you might have heard Will Faulkner on Midlands today speaking to Dr. Michael Tobin from Tooth at Loan about ChatGPT and AI and the rise of it. And Michael kind of rightly put it that like a lot of these things, and he, he almost compared it like the, the introduction of the calculator, that when these new tools come, we might be a little bit afraid of them at first. But actually, when we begin to realize they can enhance what we're doing and they can help us speed up some process, we can see a lot of good in what they're being used. But one thing is for sure, there is no shortage of coverage of artificial intelligence lately throughout the media, across all kind of industry sectors as well. And uh, sometimes you wonder, are we getting way too far ahead of it and do we need to come right back down to earth with it? But what is clear to you, it's really a very, very useful tool. And one organisation that's going to look at deploying artificial intelligence is the Advertising Standards Authority for Ireland. Now, the, the ASAI are the... Um, and an independent self-regulatory body set up and financed by the advertising industry and committed in the public interest to promoting the highest standards of marketing communications, that is advertising, promotional marketing and direct marketing. The objective is to ensure that all commercial marketing communications are legal, decent, honest and truthful. Now, that last sentence kind of gives a little insight into tonight's uh, topic for discussion. I'm delighted to be joined by the CEO of the Advertising Standards Authority for Ireland, Orla Toomey. And they've recently released research that shows that over 63% of us, of consumers, are concerned by inauthenticity of social media influencers. Uh, Very good evening, Orla. Good evening, Orla. Orla, can you take us a little bit more in more detail through the research you conducted, I suppose, number one, why why you undertook it and what the main findings were? Sure, yeah. So um, this is a repeat of research that we did two years ago. um, And basically what we want to understand is where consumers are spending their time on social media, um, what their concerns are, um, so that we have a deeper understanding of, of the things that bother consumers, but also then we can look deeper into, well, you know, in, particularly in relation to influencer marketing, are they concerned around disclosure? Are they concerned around transparency, trust, and authenticity? And, you know, that authenticity is really important because if um, someone is posting content that is an advertising content and showing a product working, well, then they should be showing the product working, not using tools on their camera to, to, to simulate that. So um, we just basically, you know, wanted to really understand what people's concerns were. It's very interesting, you know, when you look at it, 84% of us use social media apps frequently and seven, 67% of people are aware of influencer marketing. But only one in 10 trust what influencers post, which I think is really concerning. And um, over half of um, people surveyed said they're concerned by the lack of transparency. So for us, this means, you know, we were aware from our, I suppose, anecdotal experience that there were concerns around trust and transparency. But this really sort of copper fastens it. And we're working with the CCPC, that's the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, to develop additional guidelines, which will really sort of focus in on a small number of key words that will be used to disclose advertising. 
because there's a lot of different words that, that, that influencers might use when they do use them. And there's not clarity for consumers in all cases what these mean. So it's about developing guidance, using the research to focus where we need to focus. And then we will be rolling out an awareness campaign and then ultimately using tech tools to see if we can benchmark what the compliance levels are and work with that. And the research was carried out by Amoric Research in November last year with a sample of 1,000 participants, so quite extensive. And I suppose, I'm taking you back there, you reckon about 10% of people uh, don't, or sorry, uh, 10%, most people don't actually trust what they see social me- social media influencers um, promoting or that. That sounds to be very, very low. I mean, I think people's expectation might have been it was a lot higher than that because we've been pretty much led to believe that influencers are uh, the way forward for marketing. Yeah, no, it is. It is very low and it, and it is a concern. And, and certainly from an ASCI point of view, um, our concern is ensuring that advertising is, as you said, legal, decent, honest and truthful. Um, and our only concern with influencer marketing is, is to ensure that when consumers do see it, that it is disclosed as advertising, that content is is, is true and honest if it's, it's commenting on products um, and services and that both brands and influencers understand their responsibilities to essentially you know, be transparent with people when they're being advertised. Because nobody likes to the idea that someone might be advertising to you and that you don't realize it until you've engaged with the material. And these rules aren't, aren't new now, Ronan. These are rules that are in place for all ads on all media. So in radio, you have to make clear when it's an advertising break so people know they're being advertised to. And it's the same principle of honesty that is important for influencer marketing. I suppose it just feels a bit more personal because it's a different type of relationship. And it was with, with social media too, I guess, you know, if you mention, say, media like radio, television, and even, say, some of the national print newspapers, there's an element of the ads you see in that are, are genuine. They're, they're big businesses on social media. Effectively, there isn't that filter and therefore... Anybody can advertise any product and make any sort of claim about it. That's that's probably one area of huge concern. Yeah, I, I mean, I think definitely um, in relation to social media and online generally, it has allowed companies that previously would not have had access to media because of, of um, I suppose, the cost of it. So it has allowed them to engage with consumers in a new way. And I think I think the majority of people who are selling their product service understand. I need to be honest about it because, you know, you might fool someone once, but you're not going to fool them a second time. So it's all about building that brand and that trust. But I think when just in relation to influencer marketing, it's probably slightly different than posting something yourself because you are engaging a third party and you are you're looking to engage with their audience. Um, And it has evolved over the years, I mean, we didn't get complaints about this area in 2015 and pr- prior to that. So it's only since 2016 that it's really become more active. Um, and it's, it's, it's an absolutely, um, it's a bona fide way of marketing. It's just that I think both brands and influencers have to understand you really, it's so important to be upfront with people. And that's what our role is in the ASAI is, is to ensure that people understand that there are standards you're in business, you have to apply um, business standards. And we're going to be, I suppose, doing our awareness piece on it and then using the tools to, as I said, to benchmark compliance and see how we need to engage further. 
from in this area from, from looking at things like say using things like artificial intelligence to that have you a kind of a plan on how that might operate are you going to partner maybe with a university or a specialist in that area or are there any kind of other tools that maybe similar agencies across Europe are using at the minute to try to kind of you know detect what you're trying to detect in the advertising yeah yeah no absolutely um we we we're we're going to partner with um most likely it would be a Dutch company that are working with our, our Dutch colleagues and essentially what the the tools will do it's not about we're not we're not setting up to like you monitor the whole of the internet um, but what we'll be doing is using the tools to identify content that is likely to be marketing communication and that will suggest the con- that will suggest content to to my colleagues and then we will engage with it to see do we think this is an ad that hasn't disclosed it's an ad um, or do we think that this is an ad that has disclosed that it's an ad and therefore it will get the green tick um, and where we see that there is a potential problem we'll follow our normal process which is we engage with the brand and with the influencer and we say well look this looks like it's an ad can you tell us what it is and can you if it is an ad can you please disclose can you follow the rules and if someone doesn't engage with us we would then go into a formal investigative process. So really what the tools will enable us to, enable us to do is, is capture content at a scale that we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. But as I said, we're not looking to monitor the whole of the internet. We'll be very much on a very focused um, and clearly structured way. And again, like once an influencer or an, or an organization can display that it's it's an advert and, and people are aware of that as well, as you, as you think of starter, it's just about having that front and center that we know we're being sold to as opposed to watching a video which could be perceived as somebody going about their everyday normal life yeah. with their family and just trying to make that difference as well. Um, are there changes in legislation then that will need to be kind of further brought in to, to really make sure that these can be acted on as well and, and maybe to discourage people from from being inauthentic when it comes to advertising? No, what we're doing with the CCPC is we're we're going to be developing additional guidance, so which which ASAI will then use as part of our our, our work that we that we currently do to identify marketing communications that may not be compliant, um, and work through our normal process. So we don't need additional um, rules on this. It's just guidance around the rules that are existing to bring more clarity, I suppose in this area because it has developed over the last number of years. Um, influencers and brands are using different types of phrases to indicate different types of commercial relationships. However, once there is a commercial relationship, well, then it's an ad. So it doesn't really matter if it's, you know, if you call it a collaboration or um, a sponsorship, it's, is it a commercial relationship? Well, then it's an ad so you just have to say it's an ad and that's fine just be clear about it it's it's quite a simple process really when you think about it absolutely and when do you see these tools actually being deployed then like is it something that is going to take a couple of years to really get working on or is it something that you, that you intend to deploy you know before the end of this year oh it's more than likely before the end of this year but as i said before we do that we're going to do an awareness program so that people know what the what the baseline is they know what they have to do because it's not about a gotcha you know we want to make sure that people not only do influencers and understand what the responsibility on them is but that brands understand the responsibility on them because ultimately the brands are the ones who are causing the content to be created so therefore they have the primary responsibility 
but also that we want to ensure that um, consumers understand that essentially, you know, this is what the disclosure should look like. Um, and so that we get to a stage where uh, my, the ideal would be that if influencers and brands disclosed every time it was an ad, consumers would then have confidence that if they if it didn't say it was an ad, it was because it's not an ad. Do you get, if you understand what I mean? So Absolutely, that they yeah. have confidence of knowing that I always know I will be told when it's an ad, so I don't have to worry if it doesn't say it's an ad because it's not an ad. That's ultimately where we would like to get on this. So there's a big awareness piece, I think, that we need to do on this as well before we start um, looking at the, the, the monitoring piece, which the tech tools, of course, will help us do. Exactly. Ultimately, it's that, it's that in, enhanced and more authentic consumer experience too, but also widely acknowledging mm-hmm. that the way we're marketed now and the way business will market their product or service is, is changing rapidly and just making sure that everything keeps up to speed with that as well. It's a fascinating project as well. And I mean, you can, I think lots of people will empathize, understand why it's necessary and probably will welcome that because again, the results of that survey show like that 67% of people consider edited images the most annoying feature mm-hmm. on social media marketing as well. And, and again, that over 63% of us annoyed by the inauthenticity of influencers. So interesting research. Um, well done. Orla Toomey, thank you so much for coming on with us this evening. Thanks very much. Orla Toomey is the CEO of the Advertising Standards uh, Authority for Ireland and uh, talking there about the way they're going to use artificial intelligence to look at social media influencers and adverts and to be able to show the the consumer of that content that this is an advert that therefore you are being sold to. So again, maybe our own internal filter switches on to know that look at what we're seeing may not be 100% genuine or that it is in fact an ad to. Of course, I mean, as, as Orla pointed out, there is already laws in place and have been for many, many years around product placement in things like movies, on TV shows, even the way that we have to advertise on the radio. There's a lot of rules around that. So therefore, the same should absolutely apply when it comes to social media because so many people use that as their primary news source at this point in time. Time now for a quick interlude. I'm going to give you some music here from... Who will we go with here? We'll go with Van Morrison, Days Like This. And after that, I'll be back with Katrina Morden, who is the manager of the Aiton Cluster. And she's talking about a fantastic workshop that's taken place in Tullamore this coming Friday in the LOETB Centre here. So lots more information coming on that in just a few moments. The Aiton Cluster, that's Advanced Technologies and Manufacturing, brings together industry, academia and government to unlock new opportunities for manufacturing SMEs in the Midlands and companies along the value chain. The initiative is part of a national approach led by Enterprise Ireland through the Regional Technology Clustering Fund, the RTCF. The manager of the Aiton Cluster is Katrina Morden and Katrina joins me on the phone now and should be very familiar to a lot of you listeners to taking care of business. As was Katrina, uh, to begin the last six months since you were last on with me, you've had lots of developments with the cluster. Can you take us through some of the key key up key things? Yeah, I suppose uh, we've had we've had a busy time as well. We now have our five strategic pillars in place and a very strong steering committee as well, which is led by Tony Woods and we have many others, including Ashley Nolan from Murgon, Niall Faith from Grant Engineering, Finney Glennon from Critical Healthcare. So we've a really kind of stellar group of industry representatives leading that and I think that's so critical that we have a cluster that's represented by SMEs within the region as well. Um, I suppose in addition to that, you know, we've built up a strong portfolio of what our members, who our members are and what their needs are, which has really enabled us and me in particular to support them and really provide more of a service offering 
that meets their needs and addresses some of the challenges that they face, particularly around our two key verticals, which would be digitalization, sustainability, and then arising from that around the talent and skills piece that emerges from that as well. So, yeah, it's been it's been very busy in those spaces, um, but we've now grown the cluster to 73 members. Um, most of them are industry members, so we've 63 industry members. And I suppose reflecting the makeup of the region in terms of its manufacturing base, they'd be representing polymer, kind of general manufacturing and construction, as well as those that are in the ICT space and providing solutions. So I suppose there's a mix of strong sectoral alignment, but there's a huge opportunity within the cluster to build kind of trusted relationships as well with solution providers as well. So I think that's really spiked the interest of our existing members, but also potential members as well. So it appears that despite the diversity of the businesses that are members of the cluster, the same things are coming out as being the kind of pressing issues for them, those two key verticals you mentioned. Yeah, I think, you know, manufacturing companies are obviously, it's a hugely challenging time, you know, particularly since COVID, you know, access, rising energy costs being one, uh, the access and access or access to talent and the labour shortage. So no one is shy of those huge challenges that are pressing, and particularly for the SME cohort, you know, I suppose what the cluster can do is say, well, what are those key challenges? and no one should tackle them together. What could we do as a strong cohort within the region as well to kind of tackle those? But I suppose more importantly, where are the opportunities as well that we can try and identify as sectoral groups within the manufacturing base as well? And how do we try and take advantage of those? So these, those can include ones that where we reach to clusters overseas, and there's 2,000 of those, you know, how can we create relationships and opportunities with those and as well as the R&D space as well, you know, so to bring on on a continuous basis where the opportunities for innovation are with those companies so that they can, despite the challenges that are they're facing, that they can still drive forward with their innovation and I suppose most importantly with their competitive advantage as well so that we can, they will be more resilient in the future as well. A key part of your engagement with all those companies too are the various workshops and kind of seminars that you host like the Innovation Circles and um, last year as well like the Grow Digital workshops that were held. You have one coming up on Friday then around that whole area of kind of green and sustainability. Tell us more about that. Yeah, as I mentioned, you know, the sustainability agenda is obviously key to manufacturing as well. You know, manufacturers by their nature, you know, will have more uh, higher emissions and, you know, that's a global standard as well. So, the event that we're running is, again, in response to those needs as well from the manufacturing base in the region and, you know, from liaising as well with the steering committee. But it's called Commission to Net Zero and it's going to take place in the LOETB Enterprise Support Centre. And really the goal there is to inform, so look, bringing Fergus Sharkey from SEAI, what are those consumption figures from the manufacturing base in Ireland? How do we compare across Europe and what do we need to do? What are the regulatory um, uh, guidelines coming out for manufacturers and how can we share that in a kind of a, in a dialogue as well with the manufacturing group there? Then, of course, we have our strong, we have a lot of strong leaders that are really 
achieving a lot already within within their sustainability journey and in that drive to become carbon neutral. So we have some fantastic speakers, including um, Aoife Byrne from Murgon. Um, we have um, Ashley Do- Doyle from CJ Sheeran, Porik Condren from uh, Grant Engineering, and we have... Um, I think you have Vincent Cleary, Glenisk, on the list as well. Exactly, yeah. We have Vincent from... Glenisk and uh, Gary Nugent from Decatech Automotive as well. So you really are, you're, you're getting speakers there who are really are at the cutting edge of manufacturing and, and bringing their stories and, and what they've done and their, their achievements so far around achieving uh, net zero as well. So sounds like a fantastic event. Um, it's open for people to attend. How can they go find out more about it and indeed register for that event on Friday? Yes, yeah, so the, all the details are on the ATOM website. So that's uh, ie and the booking link to attend that is on, is on from 10 to 12.30 on Friday, as I mentioned, in the LOETP um, Support Centre in Tullamore. Fantastic. I mean, it's always great to learn from, from people who are out there in the industry doing it and actually living this on a daily basis. And it's a fantastic lineup you have. And uh, Katrina, c- congratulations on everything you've been achieved with the cluster so far. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks very much, Ron. Thanks for having me on. Katrina Moran there is the cluster manager of the ATOM. That's Advanced Technologies in Manufacturing Cluster. And uh, that event has taken place this coming Friday, 24th of March, from 10 to 12.30 in the LOETB Enterprise Centre, Access Business Park, Tullamore, ATOM.ie, if you want to find out more and indeed register for that event. Time now for me just to wrap up for today and say a massive thank you to Katrina and also to Orla Toomey from the Advertising Standards Authority for Ireland, speaking about their... Uh, you know, beginning to look at using artificial intelligence in order to let us everyday consumers know exactly which ads or what content we're seeing online is actually being paid for or is indeed sponsored content that influencers are delivering to us. Thank you also to Alan Krauss bring us that little snippet of that story of Kalua Castle in Clonmelon. It's now open that you can go and stay there. You can maybe organise a guided tour with Alan. And of course, the long-term objective is to have the 12 Points restaurant open there in the hopefully not too distant future as well. A massive thank you though also to Councillor Tony McCormack, Laska Hirlock of Offaly County Council, and to Anthony Hanafy, President of Tullamore Chamber of Commerce, for taking time out this evening to pay a lovely tribute to the late James O'Connor, local businessman, um, as Tony described him, a local legend, but who passed away way before his time this weekend, and uh, also the founder and indeed the the beacon of light and the driving force behind accessible counselling Tullamore. May he rest in peace. Hopefully you've enjoyed this evening's show. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week from 7pm. Joe Cooney is getting ready to jump into the hot seat here. He's got the guitar ready. He's got the Stetson on. He'll be bringing you Country Roads after the news at 8 o'clock.